If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. Um, I asked uh, Morgan to come and read our text for today. So Morgan, come on up. If you have a Bible, turn to 2 Peter, toward the very end of the New Testament. And we're starting in chapter 1, verse 5. So 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Morgan. Well, why don't we pray together? Father, we ask that you would help us, that we would receive your word with joy, that we would receive your word with soft hearts, that we would receive your word... um, with ears to hear. So we need your help with that, Lord. Would you help us by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's dive in here. Let's look at verse 5. And right off the bat, notice what it says. It says, for this reason. See that there? For this reason. Well, that immediately makes us think, well, for what reason? So again, we have to learn to read our Bibles in context, right? So what is the reason that he's referring to? Well, what he's referring to is verses 3 and 4 that we talked about last week. So today's sermon stands on the shoulders of what was established last week. We always want to read our Bibles in context, so we always know how it fits together. So what he's saying is, for this reason, meaning, remember what I said in 3 and 4? And what did we talk about? If you just glance back at 3 and 4, you can see that he's talking about, The fact that God has given to us, granted to us, everything we need to live a life of godliness. And how does that happen? See it there in verse 3? Through the knowledge of him, on the one hand, so we got to know God. If we're going to act godly, if we're going to be people that reflect that we know God, we've got to know who God is, right? That seems clear. And secondly, we have to understand his promises. See that there in verse 4? And if we know who God is, verse 3, and know his promises, verse 4, what's going to happen? We're going to become partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean we become God. It means that we start to look like God. We start to image God in our character. So God is love, so we start to be more loving. God is patient, so we start to be more patient. God is kind, so we start to be more kind. And then also, in light of the knowledge and the promises that we believe by faith, what also happens? What happens is we start to battle sin. And we escape from the corruption of sinful desire. See that there in verse 3 and 4? So now Peter says, in light of all that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at it, verse 5. I want you to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
So in light of, if, if you know God, if you're a Christian, and Christians know God, and you become a Christian by believing his promises, his precious verse 4 promises, if that's true of you, then you're going to look like verse 5. That's, that's the flow of thought here. You see that? And you're going to make every effort to have this faith that you have in Jesus look like something in real life. Here's the point. Those who are Christians, those who don't just say they believe, but actually trust God for life and treasure him above all, that's going to actually look like something in real life. It's not just going to be talk, it's going to be walk. If you say you love God with all you are, if you say you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again so that you can trust him as your only hope in life and death, then that has to impact how you live your life, right? If that doesn't impact your life in any tangible way, how could we say that we actually believe it, right? So the whole point today is this. If you know who you are, if you know your identity, really know who you are based on who God says you are, then that identity has implications for how you live. So let me give you an example. We had an incident recently in our neighborhood. Um, my wife and I were fast asleep, snuggled up in our beds, 12.30 at night, and we hear this boom, 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 boom on the front door. And if you've ever had that experience, you know, when it's silent in your house and it's 12.30 at night, no one should be knocking at your door at 12.30 at night, especially with that amount of force. That's going to jar you awake in a hurry, and that will cause you to jump out of bed in a hurry. And so that's what happens. We're like, what in the world is going on? And so both Kim and I, like, jump out of bed, run down the stairs, and there's a fireman at the door. And I'm like, oh, no. It's that sinking feeling of, like, what did I do? Like, I just, like, got called into the principal's office. You know that feeling where you're like, something is not right here. And so I answer the door. I'm in such a hurry. I'm in, standing there in my undies. And that was not cool because I'm looking at these three firefighters out there and this guy. And they're looking at me like I'm an idiot. I feel like an idiot because um, I was an idiot. Here's what happened. So we um, burn wood all throughout, <clears throat> all throughout the winter to heat our home with a wood stove. And so what happens a lot is I have to clean out our wood stove. And so I take the ashes out of the stove and put them in a bucket. And I have a couple different buckets. One has a lid. One doesn't have a lid. Well, I learned in a hurry that if you don't smother those ashes with a lid, like an airtight lid, um, those ashes can stay warm for a long time. And I had those out there in this other bucket with no lid, and it had been like about 12 hours. And I didn't like shove my hand in there to feel it, but I thought, come on, it's 12 hours. These ashes are going to be cold. So I dump them in the dumps in our garbage can like I usually do. And uh, evidently, as the fireman is recounting to me, some, one of my neighbors was walking by, and there's flames like shooting out of my garbage can. And so they called 911. The firemen come. They put it out. And, you know, they didn't wake us up until it was pretty much all over. Amazing that there could be flames shooting out of your garbage can and a fire truck out front putting out a fire right next to your house, and you're still sleeping. Um, that was amazing. And so we, and, and it just, the thing just like completely incinerated our garbage can. You know, those big, huge plastic city garbage cans. There was nothing left. See, I thought that they like 
probably like took it away or something. No, it just like melted it down into where I just had like a skinny layer of plastic in my yard. I mean, there's just nothing left. It was like three feet from my truck. I mean, it was, it was scary, but it, it was fine. Um, and he said, you know, he was really nice and he said, you know, this happens all the time. People think the ashes are cold. They're not cold. They put them in the garbage and then you have a fire. And so anyway, it was a scary situation. But that got me thinking about our text for today. And it got me thinking about identity and action. That's what this is all about today. Now think about this. Why did those firemen take action at my house? Why did they do something about this fire in my yard? It's so simple. It's obvious. Well, because they are firemen. That is their identity, right? So these four guys had the identity of firemen. So thus, what do they do? What is the action they take? They put out fires, right? So the identity of fireman equates to the action of a fireman, right? Because if they don't live in light of their identity, someone's going to get hurt. Houses are going to burn down. My truck probably explodes, right? So what would you say if you're walking by my house and you see flames shooting out of my garbage can like my neighbor must have, and then you've got some firemen gathered around, and they're not doing anything. And they're joking around, cracking jokes, wrestling around, drinking some beers, having a good time. What would you say? You would say, what are you doing? You need to put that fire out. And what if they turn to you and say, well, who cares? Well, you say, uh, because you're a fireman, and that's who you are, thus you have something to do here, right? And they say, yeah, whatever, those are just words. Quit being so legalistic. What's the big deal? Just calm down. Well, you would say there's a huge disconnect between who they are and how they're living, right? It makes sense that your identity, how you live, I'm sorry, who you are, your identity, and how you live, your actions go together, right? And that's Peter's whole point today as we look at the kind of the flow of thought from last week, verse 3, flowing all the way to verse 11 today. Here's the idea. Christian identity, I'm a child of God. I'm known and loved and adopted by the Father. I have an inheritance that's eternal. I've got a future based on the promises of God that is rock solid. If that's true, if that's my identity, I'm going to live out of that identity. I can't forget who I am. I can't be apathetic to who I am, who God says that I am. I have to be who I am. So here's one way to think about the Christian life that might be a really helpful, just short, simple way to articulate what does it mean to to live, what does it mean to live the Christian life? It's this, be who you are. Be who you are. Maybe defined a little better, be who God says you are. And if God says you are, you are. You with me? Another way to say it that we're going to see in this text is don't forget who you are. Never forget who you are. You can't forget who you are. So let's dive into verse 5 here and and see this come to life. Verse 5, let's read it again. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith 
with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now notice the connections here. It's, it's, it goes by fast, so you might have a hard time seeing it. But look at it here, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So he's making this statement about a Christian identity very clear. He's saying Christians have faith. The, re- the way you become a Christian is by putting your faith, trust, treasuring Jesus above all else. That's faith. That's who you are. You are a person who has faith. That's your identity, right? That's the starting point. And he just got done talking about these precious promises in verse 4. And he's assuming that if you're a Christian, you believe those by faith. So you are a person of faith. That's what he's saying here in verse 5. You're going to add something to this faith that you already have. It's not something to achieve. It's something that's a done deal. This is your identity. Okay? So it starts the list with faith. But if you are a person who has faith, that has implications. Right? What are the implications? There they are again. Supplement your faith that's already present. That's your identity. And in light of your identity, you're going to live a certain way. You're going to have virtue and knowledge and knowledge and self-control and self-control. Steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness, godliness, brotherly affection. And all of that is summed up by being a person of love. See that there? This is just implications of what it means to live out a Christian identity. He's just saying, be who you are. Make every effort to be who you already are. You are a person of faith, beginning of verse 5, so act like it. This is what a person of faith acts like. It looks like verse 5, 6, and 7. And, any, and, and being who you are, it does take effort. See that in verse 5? It does take action. Any, ide- any identity always implies action. Think of the fireman example, right? If you are a fireman... You're going to act like a fireman, or else you're, you're probably not a fireman. It's just fake, right? If you're not actually going to be willing to do it. So being implies doing. Identity implies action that's consistent with that identity. And that's what Peter's getting at here. If you know God, verse 3, if you've trusted his promises by faith and become a Christian that way, verse 4, that's going to look like something. But he says something interesting here. He says in verse 5 that there's effort involved. See that there in verse 5? There's effort involved. We don't just sit in bed all day and just pray that God would, would do these things in us, right? He says make every effort. Not just some effort, not just a little effort. He says make every effort. Make sure you're putting effort into being who you are. But here's the catch. Hear this very clearly. This is not works-based righteousness. This is not trying hard to prove to God that you're savable. This is not cleaning yourself up so that God likes you more. When it comes to effort, we screw this up all the time. How do we know he's not talking about works-based righteousness? Again, verse 3 and 4. He's writing to Christians. Christians that have already come to Jesus and seen that it was none of their own righteousness, it was Christ's righteousness for them. That's one of his promises. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's a promise. Do you believe it by faith, by faith yes or no? 
And if the answer is yes, then you have the identity of a Christian. And so once that identity is secure, you're going to live, live a certain way. All right, we're going to harp on this a little bit because it's a big, big deal. All right? What's the kind of effort that Peter has in mind here? Let me say it differently. Um, think about it like this. Think about, it, think about it in the terms of gift giving. I recently had a birthday, and I received some gifts, right? Now, when you receive a gift on your birthday, maybe, like, try to think back to your best birthday ever or the best birthday gift you've ever received. Okay, got it? What's the response when you receive that gift? What's the knee-jerk response in your heart when you receive that gift? Is it this? Well, now that you've given me this gift, I need to get to work. I got to get to work. I got to put forth some effort here. See, the clock is ticking. And I got to prove that I love you. And I got to prove that I can pay you back. And I got to just try so hard to earn more of your love because of this gift you gave me. Now, if you ever sense that in your heart, or if you saw someone else reacting that way, you would think that's a little off, right? Like, that's not an appropriate response to, to, to just a gift that's given based on nothing that you've did, done at all, just simply maybe being a son or a daughter, and your parents love you, they give you a gift. See, we don't have that, like, I need to pay you back, and I need to work really hard to try to prove that I'm worthy of this gift mindset when you receive a gift. No, that's weird. That's backwards. But the problem is, so many of us relate to God that way. What's a healthy mindset when you receive a gift? It's just simply humility, thanksgiving, and thank you, and love. It's not pressure to get to work, but when your heart is softened by someone giving you a gift, you don't have to work at loving that person. It just springs out of you naturally, right? When someone gives you an amazing gift, man, it's just like, whoa, that's awesome, man. My heart is just kind of melting or bursting with love for you because of this grace that you've shown me. I didn't deserve it, but you just gave it, right? It comes naturally. And that's how we should have, that's the mindset that we should have when we read this effort in verse 5. When it comes to striving. See, there's striving that's a fear-based, fear-fueled working that's not Christian. That's not what Peter has in mind here when he talks about effort. And there's a striving that is faith-fueled, love-fueled, desire-fueled, remembering the promises of God and how amazing those are. And I just want to step into those by faith and love and trust. See, that's what Peter has in mind here with verse 5. Since Jesus has already credited to you as a free gift. Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is Jesus Christ our Lord. Since God has credited perfect righteousness to you as a gift in Jesus' cross and empty tomb through no effort of your own, what's the response? Just like the kid on his birthday, it's humility and thankfulness and love. That if you really understand the gift, that's just going to spring up naturally. Nothing to prove, nothing to earn. No slavish fear to try to hurry up and get your act together so that mom and dad can love me more. That's not how grace works. You should simply just be who you are. My parents love me. They've given me this gift. 
So, man, my response should be humility, love, and joy, and thankfulness. And Christians are those that have received the most amazing gift ever imaginable. Let me come at it from this angle. See, we're all spring-loaded to read verse 5, 6, and 7 and just, just make it backwards. I know that's in my heart. The default tendency of all of us is to make every effort to be holy. So I'll read verse 5 maybe in isolation and go, all right, got to get my act together. i got to get going, right? And I forget about knowledge of God and promises of God that, by faith that fuel all this stuff. And, and I believe that if I just get my act together, verse 5, 6, 7, act together enough, then God's going to smile on me and bless me. So it's kind of like a bartering relationship. Like, I read verse 5 and I go, okay, I'm going to work hard and do verse 5, 6, and 7. And then, God, you'll give me what I want in return. So what I want is money and sex and happiness and a retirement plan and a great car and a spouse and obedient kids and... And man, if I just do some verse 5, 6, and 7, you'll give me that, right? Here, there's a, a ton of problems with this. Here's a couple. Number one, the sense of pride will just bubble up in my heart if I have this sense that I've achieved that. If I have this sense that, man, I'm, I'm getting my act together with 5, 6, and 7. And I'll just look, look down on everyone else who's not doing it like I am. But also... We would never say this out loud, but subtly we put God in our debt if we relate to him that way. Like, since, God, I've given you my good deeds, check me out, 5, 6, and 7. I'm, I'm working really hard. I'm getting my act together. And so then you owe me some things, God. See, notice what happens if I have this mindset. If I believe that I just work hard through my own efforts— that that's going to earn me some things and perform so that God will bless me, what happens when suffering comes into my life? As it always does, and that's a promise biblically. And you don't feel all that blessed. It's like, God, I thought we had an arrangement here, right? Like, look at all my striving and all my five, six, and seven, how I'm measuring up and I'm doing all that you want me to do and I'm trying to make myself pleasing to you and all this effort to get my act together, it's supposed to get me these things that I want, and you have failed on your end of the bargain, God. And then God replies, well, where did you read about some bargain in my word? What part of bargain goes with grace and mercy and gift? See, the Christian message is not Perform a certain way and then get rewarded with happiness in this life and then heaven. You cannot read 5, 6, and 7 that way because verse 3 and 4 will not allow it. The Christian message is you can't ever perform enough to put God in your debt. You're too sinful. You grossly underestimate your sin if you think you can wash it away through performance. But the good news is that God in Jesus performed for you. So you don't have to. So you can breathe and relax and rest in trusting this message. And then what happens? Then you have the freedom to actually love. Then you have the freedom to actually live out of who God says you are. Because who you are is a done deal. It's already been achieved for you that you receive by faith. And now you can chill out. 
And that ironically creates the kind of effort that is fueled by humility and love. That just has, this grace has melted my heart. So I can get off this treadmill of good deeds. I can get off this ladder climbing to heaven. And I can rest in the fact that God has climbed down the ladder to meet me and to simply give me himself as the greatest gift ever imaginable. You see the difference? If you know your identity as one who's been saved based on pure love alone, that you were an orphan, and all of a sudden a mother and father swoop in and adopt you and give you everything you ever needed, what's your response to that? Grace and mercy through the knowledge of God and the promises of God has to change the way we live. Or we don't understand this grace and mercy we've received, right? So it's no striving to prove anything, but it does change us. See the difference? They both have to be understood and embraced. Good works like verse 5 is rattling off, verse 6 and 7 is rattling off. Good works and striving and having effort to see that good works flow from our lives are not a means to earn anything from God, but they are a means to show that we understand what we've been given by God. See the difference? I've been given these precious promises, verse 4, that I believe by faith. And when I believe the promise that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, that makes me a Christian. And if I truly understand that promise and believe it by faith, that's going to change my life. Just like the kid who's thankful on Christmas morning and lives a life of authentic love for his parents. So we are saved by faith alone. But verse 5, 6, and 7 show us that the faith that saves us is never alone. It's always accompanied by good works that are increasing over time. Okay? So identity, I'm saved and rescued as one through none of my own striving or effort leads to action. Verse 5, 6, and 7. These types of qualities that do require some effort, but that effort is fueled by nothing to prove, but it's fueled by love and humility and thankfulness. All right? So I harp on this, and I know I've been repetitive this morning, but we miss it so often. We can nod our head, yes, yeah, I get it, I get it, and then walk out of here and live the opposite way. And the opposite way is just slavish fear if you fail, or arrogant pride if you have the sense that you've, that you've achieved it. And neither one is Christianity. So, man, we got to preach this to ourselves. Okay? This is Christian living that Peter is mapping out here for us. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. For these qualities, these qualities, these, this fruit of the Spirit kind of qualities, this, these qualities that flow from an identity, a Christian identity that's settled. For these qualities, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this just makes sense. I love the comment about ineffective or unfruitful, just like the fireman, Right? Go back to the fireman analogy. If, if the fireman doesn't live out his identity as a fireman, he's not going to be very fruitful as a fireman, right? If he doesn't do what a fireman does, he's going to be completely ineffective. 
people are going to die, right? So that's all that verse 8 is getting at. Let's look at verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities, 5, 6, and 7 type qualities, fruit of the Spirit type qualities, is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So this is just underscoring exactly what I've been talking about up to this point. Identity implies action. If you don't know who you are, you don't know how to live. If you know who you are, that's going to imply you knowing how to live. If you forget who you are, that has disastrous consequences. Look at it again. You can't forget that you are one who is clean. See that in verse 9? If you are in Christ, if you believe the promise that all who come to Jesus by faith, not through works, by faith and just trust and treasure him, are made clean by his blood, washing away their sin, like we sang this morning. If you know that, you're going to live in light of that. He's saying, don't forget that your identity is one who has been cleansed. See it there in verse 9? Don't be blind. Don't forget. There's just different ways of saying you have to remember, always remember, always remember who you are. Who are you? You're a cleansed one. You're a cleansed one. One who's been cleansed. Jesus has made you clean. So you are clean. Don't live like, don't live like you still think you're dirty because you're not. That's not who you are. Don't forget who you are. Be who you are. So maybe the, the fun, one of the fundamental qu- questions of the Christian life is this. That we have to have an answer to. Who are you? Do you know who you are? I'm sure many of you in this room have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. I'd encourage you to go back. And I know it's a very hard movie to watch. But go back and watch just the first 15 minutes. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole in, in any movie I've ever seen. So it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And this isn't biblical, but it's, it could have happened, I guess. Um, it's somewhat big, biblical in the sense that we know that Jesus was tempted by the devil. And so in the scene, the devil shows up. Now, we don't have that in the Bible, but it's okay. We'll take some creative license here. Here's what I love about that scene. Is the devil is kind of whispering in Jesus' ear as he's praying. And, and as he, he's asking him all these questions. And one of the ultimate questions he asks Jesus, at the end of, the, of this temptation scene, is this. Who are you? And the devil character just keeps saying, who are you? Who are you? And that's just a perfect illustration of how Satan loves to attack those who would desire to live out their identity. That's all that Jesus was doing, is living out his identity, right? I am the Savior, so I'm going to go through with this action, My identity implies action. But Satan wants to get in there and say, who are you? Really? Is that your identity? Really? It's not not a a full frontal assault. It's just subtle, subtle questions. Satan always loves to ask subtle questions. Who are you? And based on verse 9, Satan comes and says, you're not clean. Really? 
You're not saved. You're not chosen. You're not, there's no inheritance for you in Christ. You're not loved. You're not adopted. And then we return to verse 4 and say, no, 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 Satan. I got precious promises. I got precious promises. What you're saying is not true. Look at these promises in God's word. I open up Ephesians 1 and I rattle off these promises that I'm redeemed and I have the Holy Spirit and I've got an inheritance and I'm blessed and I believe them and I trust them and I treasure them and, and, I, and I look at, at 1 Peter chapter 1 and it says, I got this inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading and, and, and I've got in heaven it's waiting for me and I've got God's power and I'm, being, and I'm one who's being guarded and I'm one who's received mercy and I've been caused to be born again. i got all this truth Satan, you can't talk to me. Why? Because I believe God's word. I do not believe your word. I'm going to be who I am and I'm defining who I am based on who God says I am not who you say I am, Satan. So who are you? From Satan, that's a horrible question. From God and with God's word open, that's a great question. Who are you? And God's word is so faithful to tell us who we are. Look at verse 10. He wraps up with this. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, you will be richly provided. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So these last two verses are just all about assurance. Nothing to achieve, nothing to earn. Just the assurance that you are who you are. That you are who God says you are. And he's saying that if you look at your life and you, if you see five, six, and seven type qualities continuing over time in increasing measure, see the word increasing measure in verse uh, 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, what's going to happen? Well, he's just saying in verse 10 and 11 that that serves as confirmation. That you are who God says you are. You, you have assurance that you are saved. It's kind of like this. If you plant a fruit tree in your front yard, how do you know if it has true life? Well, most of us aren't going to, like, dig up the root system and inspect it, right? What do you do? You just have to wait. And you have to wait to see if it becomes fruitful. And if there's no fruit on the tree year after year after year and it becomes increasingly gray and gray and black, what do you know? You know that that tree is dead. It's not a real fruit tree. It needs to be cut down. Right? It's not alive. It's dead. And the same is true in our lives. Jesus said that if you abide in me, meaning if you really know me, if you love me, if you come to me by faith, and you've trusted me, and you treasure me above all other things in life. That's what faith is. That's what believing in Jesus means. If you abide in me like that, you will bear fruit. It's just a promise. Another one of his precious promises. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. John chapter 15. And if there's no fruit over time, maybe a long period of time, 
we have to ask if that person is really abiding. If you really are a Christian. Now let me say two things about this. They both should be encouraging. Very encouraging this morning. Don't measure your fruit bearing by the last 10 days of your life. Measure it by the last 10 years of your life. Meaning, do you see any difference in your life compared to who you were 10 years ago? Just think about it. The issue here is not perfection. The issue here is what's the direction of your life that you can observe from who you used to be, let's say, 10 years ago to today. Peter says that if we see these faith-fueled virtues, five, six, and seven type virtues, growing in increasing measure, our lives should have assurance. That's 10 and 11. I know that I've got a place in eternity. It's just just more confirmation, right? We have confidence that we're really Christians. i got nothing to earn, nothing to prove. I just look back at my life and go, yeah, I am different. I, I think there's evidence of God working his spirit in my life. So where were you 10 years ago? Where were you 10 years ago? What issues were you struggling with 10 years ago? I used to wrestle with fear a lot. And I'm not perfect in that, but I'm not who I once was. I used to wrestle with lust a lot. I'm not perfect with that today, but I'm not who I was when I was 23, when I was 33, or whatever. I used to wrestle with arrogance and pride a lot, Mr. Know-it-all. Man, I graduated from college, I'd read one John, John Piper book, and I thought I had all the answers. You, I can just tie them all up in a nice little bow. You want the answers? Oh, here they are. And I learned, you know, man, my 22-year-old self probably didn't have it as much together as I thought I did. So I'm not, I have not arrived in the least when it comes to pride, but I'm not who I once was. What do you see when you look back on your life? And maybe that's hard. Maybe you need someone to come, come alongside you who's honest. Ask your spouse. They know you. If you're not married, ask a roommate that you really trust and who really knows you. A sibling, a parent, a close friend. Again, the, the issue is not perfection. The issue is what, what is the direction of my life? And Peter is saying that the direction of our life should be these, 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 these attributes of steadfastness and self-control and virtue and knowledge and godliness, growth in godliness over time in increasing measure if we truly have knowledge of God, verse 3, and are truly understanding the promises of God, verse 4, and living in light of them by faith. Now, what if you don't see any difference, though? What if maybe you look back in the last 10 years and go, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely not headed, I'm worse off than I was 10 years ago. Like, my, my sin feels like just, man, it's just getting worse. Well, maybe you're truly not in Christ. Maybe you're not a Christian. But that's okay. Today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day when you cease the foolish striving to save yourself and clean yourself up and finally for the first time receive the free gift of God that is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection given to you to save you because you can never save yourself. 
You now see that you're too sinful to save yourself, but God himself was willing to come down to this earth and love you enough to save you if you will trust him by faith and treasure him above all other things in life. So as you think back on the last 10 years and you don't see any growth, man, today can be the day when you start. Today can be the day when you start. So no one should leave here discouraged today unless you have a completely hard heart and think all of God's word is just worthless. Either you're growing as a Christian over a long period of time or maybe you're saved for the first time today. What we've been talking about in these last two weeks is is huge for anyone becoming a Christian and growing as a Christian. All of this be who you are language. Never forget who you are. Be who God says you are. And if God says you are, you are. This is vital for walking with God and living out a Christian identity. So here's what I want, want, you, want us to do as an action point just for today. I want you to talk to somebody. Maybe it's in the lobby today uh, with a trusted friend. Maybe it's uh, after church at home. Maybe it's tonight on the phone or whatever with someone. I want you to think about this and I want you to talk about it. Because talking about it will help instill it in your heart. Are there ways that you've forgotten who God says you are? Let's just take the verse 9 example. Have you forgotten that you are clean if you're in Christ? That your former sins do not define you? That Jesus doesn't see you as someone who has to like hurry up and prove that you're, that you're clean and clean yourself up? Man, get going. Get on that treadmill of cleanliness. No, that Jesus performed perfect cleanliness for you, never sinned once, and that, when you come to him by faith, is credited to you as a gift. Nothing to earn, nothing to prove, it's over. You're clean. So, why am I living like I'm still dirty? Why am I still fixating on that sin, that one gross sin that I committed five years ago, and I just can't seem to get past? How have you forgotten who you are? How have you forgotten who God says you are? What is it for you? We're going to practice this in our city groups this week. So be thinking about it so you got something to share this week, okay? And then, once I know who I am and once I know who God says I am after I've come to him by faith, what action, remember the fireman example, firemen's put out fires. Identity of fireman means I'm going to spray the hose, right? So if I know who I am, what does that need to look like? Look like? If I know that I'm cleansed, I'm going to be walking in freedom. If I know that I'm cleansed, I'm not going to fixate on that old sin because it's done. If I know that I'm cleansed, I can encourage someone else in their walk, right? What, what are the actions that need to flow from my identity? All right? So who am I? Maybe how I've forgotten. And then what does that need to look like in real life? All right? Let's name them. And let's make some effort toward this gospel application. All right? Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help. May your word come alive in our hearts, in our minds this week. Um, Help us to do it. May we be saturated with your truth and who you say we are. Lord, help us get in our Bibles and really meditate on who you say we are. And may it truly be lived out in our lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen.